welcome to the Nerd Party. Welcome back to Throwback Paperback. I'm one of your hosts, Asia Bonia. And I'm the other host, Charles Sheeland. We're covering book three of the Chronicles of Narnia this week, which means we're almost halfway done, which is really exciting. You know, we're blazing through these. Today we're covering The Horse and His Boy, which takes place during the last book, during the Golden Age of Narnia. And for anyone who is new to the show, we're a podcast on the Nerd Party Network. We're best friends and we read and reread young adult books from our adolescence and share them with each other. I've never read any of the Chronicles of Narnia. Well, I guess now I've read three. And Charles has read them all many, many times. So he is the one rereading this time. I've really always loved the plot of this one. I think our four main characters in this book are great. So I'm really interested to hear what you think. But I feel like I've been saying that for all of them. So, Well, you're going to find out. I don't know if you'll be happy with it, but you will in this episode. So let me go ahead and summarize the plot really quickly. So we have Shasta, who is a peasant boy, and he escapes with a talking horse, Bree, in an attempt to get to Narnia. On the way, they connect with Erevis? Erevis and Huin. And Huin, who are also trying to get north. They have to travel through Kalormen? Kalormen, but yeah, that was close. Kalormen? Okay, that was my second guess. The big city of... Tashban? Bon? <laughs> Tashban, but yes. Tashban, a desert, and then finally into Arkenland, which is the small country between... Kalorman. Oh, God. The small country... Kalorman and Narnia. They discover that the prince of Kalorman, Rabadosh, is going to attack Arkenland, but they warn the king with enough notice, and it's revealed that Shasta is the long-lost prince of Arkenland. And that's it. I don't know... I don't know if you got any of that with all those terrible mispronunciations, but that's the gist of it. And as far as my impression goes of the story, I'm still pretty much feeling the same way. I don't hate it. I definitely don't love it. I probably don't even <laughs> like it. I just feel pretty indifferent to the whole thing. This is just, as we read each book, it's just continuing to prove a series that I would have never, like, read on my own. That's so crazy to me. I mean, I I guess for me, like, it's proving to be young for me, which I already knew it was young. And so for me, I think the youngness does make it less attractive, but whatever. I, sh- I have a lot of thoughts, actually, on why I think you don't like it personally, just because I know you. But I'm sure we'll talk about that as we go through the series. I think these books are so easy to get through. My impression is like, wow, a book a day, killing it. Like, I love it. I get through them so fast. I mean, I do enjoy that we're reading the entire book because that is like the most frustrating part about splitting the books in half because you don't get to, you know, wrap up the plot. We have to like stop right in the middle. Like, that's the worst thing. So I I don't mind that, but it just not necessarily enjoying these books. Well... Listeners, if you feel like this is a better format for you, the reason we do this with some books is we just do them in one week because they're generally shorter. And so it feels like we're dragging if we divide them. But if we hear from you and you really like hearing a whole book a week or you like really, really hate it, let us know. 
like we will definitely take that under advisement but we're kind of doing it we're kind of doing it just to keep the readings somewhat consistent but not spend too long on too long on a series but let us know how it is for you so diving into the plot, this place, this book takes place during the last book. Like I said, Peter is the High King of Narnia. And as always with these books, we hit the ground running. Immediately Shasta overhears that Arshish is not his father and that he's going to be sold to a Tarkhan, I think. So he and Bree are going to escape to Narnia together. And very early on, we get Bree's best line. So in the cultural DNA of Kalorman, when they mention the Tizrock, who's basically like their sultan, they say, the Tizrock, may he live forever. You need that context if you didn't read. But Shasta asks Bree, so Bree, doesn't, Bree just says Tizrock, and Shasta's like, why didn't you say, may he live forever? And Bree says, I don't want him to live forever, and I know he's not going to live forever, whether I want him to or not. Which is probably my favorite line in the whole book. I mean, that was a pretty iconic moment. I'd say. Sassy horse. Sassy horse. Very sassy horse. And then pretty quickly as they're traveling, they attacked by lions, which forces them to connect with Huin and Arvis. And of course, Arvis is a high lady and she and Shasta are constantly bickering, you know, like preteens are wont to do. And we get a little bit of a background story on Arvis, which basically we find out that her father has promised her hand in marriage to a 60-year-old, like, nobleman. So obviously pretty disgusting, because as we said, these are clearly, like, preteens, maybe early teenagers. Like, she's very young. And her horse, Wynne, actually had to prevent her from trying to commit suicide because she felt so trapped that, like, she would rather have died than be forced to marry this old man, which, honestly, I, I can see why she would want to do that. And this is where we really start getting the these clear stereotypical portrayals that the Kalorman are barbaric Muslims. They live in a desert country. They have darker skin than the Narnians. They have dark hair, unlike the Narnians. They like wear all this like heavy dramatic jewelry that like that our characters like, wow, they look so out of date, you know, because like the Narnians are so much more fashionable. And the Kalorman wear turbans, they keep slaves, and they have child marriages. And just, you know, in case you weren't getting, you know, the idea that Narnia is better, Huynh says, in Narnia, no girl is forced to marry, which is a little sanctimonious, you know. You're, you're getting this imagery, right, Asia? Yeah, I was definitely getting it throughout. It wasn't nearly as, like, what I was expecting, I was expecting a lot worse. So yeah, this, it, it really honestly didn't bother me that much. Yeah, I would say honestly in this book, like if this is if this book is particularly like what people criticize, it's not necessary. I wouldn't go as far as to say like it's racism because it's not saying that they're worse than, I mean, except like the, there's that sometimes there's that kind of like, Narnia is better because it's a free country, which that is a good point. But like, it's not like they're describing them in like a worse for their race kind of way. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's just describing yeah, a different race, a different it. race in a different culture. It was kind of 
Yeah, it was kind of saying like, oh, they're bad, but it wasn't as saying like, oh, they're bad because of their race, even though like you could kind of read between the lines and like see if that was what he was saying. But it's definitely not like I feel like for a kid, it wouldn't necessarily you definitely wouldn't process something like that. Yeah. And, you know, just in case you need a little history check, white people in America are, you know, truly like they redefined what the global understanding of slavery was in the way that they operated chattel slavery. So don't think that just, you know, Kalormans had slaves, white people had slaves in America. And plenty of young girls were married off to old men in predominantly white countries in the Middle Ages and still happens today. So just, just, you know. Every race can make mistakes. Yep. Just wanted to keep that in there. Okay. But yeah, we'll keep an eye on it because the Kalorman will come back, especially in the last book. And I think there we might get some more kind of, but even then it might just be more like defining a separate culture. But I'm interested to hear, you know, what you think. Well, also I would say to the idea of, they're saying like Narnia is the best. I'm like, well, no, duh, this is the Chronicles of Narnia. So I would assume that, you know, we're reading this children's story with this, you know, godly lion. Like, yeah, they're probably the best. They're supposed to be the best nation or best country in this world. So to me, that's why it wasn't really that surprising that they talk about how bad these people are when it's like, oh, well, like Narnia is supposed to be the hero. So like, that's why it personally didn't bother me that much. Well, good. I mean, I'm, I'm always glad to hear something is not racist because, you know, racism is bad. No comment? Okay, great. So. I mean, obviously I agree. At, the, at this See, point, like, so, as, again, if you know Throwback Paperback well, you know that I write our outlines. I synthesize our notes and our research, and I put them in chronology so that they become our episodes. And I will tell you at this point, Asia had, like, two notes so far, and she doesn't have any notes much further on. And so normally... When you have no notes, Asia, it's because you like a book and you're just engrossed in the story. Well, so that's when we're rereading one of my picks, or when I'm rereading one of my picks, whereas I have no notes because, like I said, I just had nothing to say. (laughs) But, like, aren't you at least enjoying the plot in this one? I'll definitely say, which, like, I put my final impression, so spoiler alert, I definitely think that the plot was more interesting than the last book but it was still like not very fulfilling for me which i'll explain that why i felt that way at the end okay fair enough so that's why at this point though yes i really didn't have any notes because like i noticed what charles talking about like the racism but like it just said i kind of that didn't really bother me because to me like with the story like yes it makes sense narnia is supposed to be the best place or whatever so, I mean, other than that, at this point, I didn't really have anything else to say. Fair enough. One of my favorite parts of this book is Huynh. I think she's an awesome character. I also really like Aravis. Like, Aravis is really smart. So she has this whole plan to evade her arranged marriage, and it's excellent. Like, she has this whole, like, I'm going to go do these marriage rituals, and then she's going to send a letter to her dad from her soon-to-be husband, So she, like, kind of gets herself, like, a whole week before anyone notices she's missing, which I thought that was really clever, right? Yeah, it was very clever. And, you know, that's a pretty good segue to just talking about Quinn, the horse, being the smartest 
or if not the smartest, one of the smartest characters that we get because it's actually her plan to get them through the city and she actually throws some shade at Bree because he's worried about how they're going to look when they arrive in Narnia because she's like, we need to dirty ourselves up and cut our like manes and the tails so that we look like slave horses or something instead of like they're both like very nice horses they can blend in and Bree's like are we sure we want to do that like we can only make a first impression once and she's says like shouldn't it really it doesn't matter what we look like we're the focus is getting there like and the only way to get there is like doing this like sneaking in so I did think that was funny yeah Bree is super vain and that's something that like I resonates with me more as an adult reading it than I did as a kid. I mean, you get it said, like, Aslan literally calls him vain, but, like, as a kid, you're not going to relate to the horse, you know? I mean, even now, I don't necessarily, like, relate to the horse, but I definitely, like, the horse is an adult, and Shasta and Arvis are kids, and so I'm just, like, more aware of, like, oh, yeah, he really is, like, insecure. Well, no, yep, and again, it's always the male. The male is the insecure, vain one, and the female is the smart one. But at some points, like, she was too afraid to, like, speak up because Brie would be like, I know better. So I definitely noticed that, too, which was more just, like, it was annoying, but, like, not annoying enough to write a note down, honestly. It's no pitiful Mo main <laughs> cart, that's for sure. Well, Mo's not insecure. Mo has big D energy, and it gets him into trouble all the time because he's irresponsible. Yes. But yes. Okay. So the plan is pretty good, but it gets ruined because Shasta gets taken in by the Narnians and Arvis gets taken in by Lazaroline. Shasta gets taken in by the Narnians because they think he's the prince of Arkenland who's traveling with them. The Narnians then make a plan to get out of Tashban and real corn shows up so Shasta can go back to his friends in a perfect timing, whatever. It's a plot. It's fiction. Fine. Meanwhile, Lazaroline is like a high school friend of Arabus's, and they're going to sneak through the Tizrox palace to get out of the city. The only thing I took away from these scenes was when La- Lazareline, is that how you say her name? Yeah. It's more like a Lazareline. Lazareline. Yes. Wait. Laz- Lazareline. Oh my God. Lazareline. I think I'm adding like an extra L in there. Anyway, her, when she first sees Arabus, she's like, Arabus! oh my God, what are you doing here? And I was like, shh, be quiet. And I was like, I could totally relate to that because I often get too excited and can't control my volume of my voice because I'm too excited. And then I have to tell you to use your indoor voice. Because when I'm excited, I'm excited. I definitely miss some of those social cues of being like discreet. So I did think that was funny. But other than that, still sitting here in my pool of indifference. I did not think you were going to comment on that but you know okay so okay but this part like this i've never noticed this until this time i know that they need arvis to go to the palace so that she can hear the plan but like i never noticed there's like this moment where they're like i wonder how we're gonna get arvis out of the city like we can just take the horses out the same way like they can just go out not a problem but like how will we get arvis out of the city and i'm like she could have just gone they could have just like left like, they could have literally spoken to Lazareline and then just left, even under the peasant disguise. Like, she could have just, like, literally the same day, five minutes later, they could have just left the city. 
Well, I'm assuming it's because they needed to have Erevis and Lazareline hide in a little room so that they That's can- what I just said. Like we need them for we need them to hear the next thing for plot purposes. But like in terms of like the actual story, I'm like they didn't need to do that. But didn't the horses just- like get grabbed or something or like people saw the horses? I think also no. like No. I thought either Shasta or Erevis, one of them said like it was pretty obvious that like no one was believing they were like slave horses or whatever. Like they clearly looked like yeah, nice horses. I don't I don't know what the word is, but so I think this like also kind of helped with that because I feel like if you went off of that, then you know maybe if she just would have taken them, it was more likely that she was gonna get stopped before she got to like the gate to leave. Especially maybe by herself because like one yeah, also as a like she looks horses. like a slave girl with two really nice horses. Probably looks very suspicious. I guess, maybe. I just was like, the original plan would have been fine. But, obviously, we need Arvis and Lazarlene to overhear the Tizrock and Rabadash's plan. So, basically, Lazarlene and Arvis get stuck in a room in the palace. And the Tizrock and his his son, the prince, the Tizrock is like the sultan. His prince and his vizier come in. And this is when Rabidash is like, I'll sneak off by myself, and if I take Arkenland, then, like, you're welcome, Dad. And this scene is so funny. Like, because they, all three of these characters, like, have to stay in, like, the formal syntax of, like, speaking to the king, basically, or the sultan, or whatever. The, his name is, his title is the Tisrock. And so the prince has to, like, defer to his dad, and the vizier has to defer to both of them. But they have to, like, speak in this very loquacious, ridiculous way. And um, even Rabidash, I think he calls the vizier. He's like, oh, gracious and loquacious vizier. Like, you know, he has to, like, give him a backhanded compliment because they have to speak in this formal speak. And one of the moments, like, Rabidash is like, if you weren't my father, I would say that sounds like a coward. And is, and the Tisrock is like, well, you would not be alive very long if you did say something like that. And then the best line is, Rabidash says, like, if I marry a Narnian, Susan, like, Narnia, like, nephew, Peter's nephew will be on the throne of Kalorman one day. And the Tisrock says, well, he won't see that if it, if, sorry, I want to get the line right. I have it quoted here. He will not see that if I live forever, which is undoubtedly your wish. Because, again, they always have to say, may he live forever. Yeah. You didn't think that was funny at all? Uh, during this part, I was just waiting for them to leave. Really? This, it was, like you said, it was all, like, the weird talking. I mean, I was in it, but, like... I was really just like, let's go to the next scene. Like, wrap it up. Really? I think that, this is probably my favorite scene to read every time. Absolutely not. Also, like, we get some casual sexism because Rabidash is like, you know, women are as changeable as weather cogs. Yep, I caught that. Um, oh, and before this even, <laughs> Lazarine, she's speaking to her servants and she's like, don't tell them Aravis is here. If you do, you'll be beaten to death, burned alive, and kept on bread and water for six weeks. And I was like, can't do all those because they'll be dead, but sure. No reaction? Beaten to death, burned alive, kept on bread for bro- and water for six weeks? 
Nope. You cannot tell, listeners, but I am rolling my eyes. So then after this very, very long scene, our crew is finally reunited. I think, too, I mean, I understand what you're saying. Like, it was there were some funny moments in the conversation, but I'm trying to find some connection to the characters, and all of those characters are just absolute, like, throwaway, like, evil people. So I don't really need to, like care about them i mean i barely care about the main characters so i i was more looking forward to figuring out how they got back together in this next part okay well they get back together and we didn't even mention it but shasta's had to wait at the tombs by himself all day like 24 hours can you imagine that i mean that is a very long time but he has his protector overnight but then like he wakes up the next morning I'm just saying I would go crazy if I, like, just sitting at the, like, the edge of a desert with nothing to do for 24 hours. You can make a sandcastle. Okay. <laughs> I mean, you have to do something. I'd be... I guess. I'd be more worried about, you know, the lack of food and water than about what am I going to do? Like, how are you going to survive? Well, soul food and water. Yeah, that's true. So that was something to do right there. Okay, that's an hour. <laughs> well done. So they get you reunited, and they cross the desert, and then they get attacked by a lion, which I was just really confused at this point. I mean, first of all, how many lions are in this country? Like, I didn't know that, like, lions were so common to begin with, but also li- the lions in this world are, like, extremely aggressive, apparently, because this is, like, the third time they've been chased by a lion. Did you not know that it was Aslan at this point? Well, no, because first of all, I didn't realize that every lion mentioned in the Chronicles of Narnia was going to be referring to the same lion. Also, the not fact every lion. We had an extra lion in the Magician's Nephew, and he's like, "I'm a lion like Aslan," and everyone else is like, "Shut up." Okay, but every other lion. In it's this not story, every other lion. In this story, Aslan literally yes. says that he is every lion that they've met. So right there, that seems one. a bit ridiculous. Well, he's God. He's omnipresent. And also, I wasn't expecting this because what we've met of Aslan so far, he's this nice Jesus figure. And literally, every time we've seen him as this lion, he's trying to attack them and kill them and chase them. He's not trying... He is not trying to attack them or kill them at any point. How He's are we supposed to them? know that from the reader where they're running away from a lion that's roaring at them and chasing them aggressively? <laughs> what? You think that that's the, his way of, like, saying hello? But they only think that because Bree is afraid of lions. I mean, obviously they're, ch- they're getting the, away, but, like... I don't think Bree was the only one afraid for his life. I think all I mean, four they, of them were afraid when the lion's snapping at their legs. And, I okay. mean, he literally attacks them yes so when we get there fine yes he that time he does attack them but before that he's not actually i mean again they couldn't know that in the moment he's chasing, he's chasing them, them and growling 
I think that if I, if I was walking down the street and a lion started chasing me and growling at me, I would not assume that that was a friendly <laughs> gesture. And he was like, let's hang out. Like, I'm going to come up on my hind legs, put my arms behind my back, and let's go for a walk. Like, no, he is, I'm going to kill you. That would be my first instinct. He's going to kill us. That's why Shasta goes, go home, go away, when he comes up to them. Because that's all you can do when you're, like, I think for lions, it's, like, the same as, like, certain bears. Like, you're just supposed to make yourself big and yell at them and, like, pray that they're going to go away. I guess. But apparently he is God, so your prayers, like, would be wasted because he's right there in front of you ready to murder you. Yeah, so you mentioned this. So the last time they meet Aslan, he, he attacks Arvis. Yes, so, yeah, like, Charles is saying, oh, he's not being aggressive. They're literally running. That time he was. They're literally running for their lives, and Shasta ends up slipping off of Bree's back because Huynh and Erebus have fallen behind, and this lion, who I guess is Aslan, has been inherited by the devil or whatever, he has come <laughs> to kill them, and... <laughs> I mean, this scene was kind of funny because Brie is, like, how it's described. They're like, Brie, for the life of him, like, didn't hear Shasta go, we have to turn back. Help. He was just booking it. He was gone. So Shasta had to, like, jump off him, literally jump off a horse riding at full speed, tuck and roll, probably, like, sprained his ankle. Because Brie was like, I didn't hear you, which, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I think that's a lie. But, you know, they're like, Brie is known not to lie. And I was like, that's a joke. You can, the kids can can believe that but i think that's a lie anyway back to the lion so now that shasta's off of brie he like runs back to the lion and the lion now has scratched like all of the back of erevis like she's bleeding and shasta just runs up to him and says go away go away and then the lion just like turns away and like runs off which i mean i thought was weird but again this is some magical random story so obviously like whatever let's not question the plot but Yes, so, no, why would I have at any point assumed that the lion that just literally attacked a human being, we don't know if the, the motive was murder, was it to eat her, was it just out of fun, just to hurt her, why would I assume that that's our, that we've been given as our God-slash-Jesus character? That would definitely never, in my mind, be the assumption. Fair enough. I mean, fine, okay, sure, I... I... I guess maybe the first time I read it, I didn't know. Well, we we know that you definitely aren't going to remember it the first time since you know you've read this like twenty times. So this no, but I, I take your point. I take your point it. that like, if you didn't, yeah, I take your point that like, the lions haven't spoken at all. Every other time we've met Aslan, he's been like, "I'm Aslan. I'm here." These like he's been, and at- also you just said how like in. The magician's nephew, oh my god, is that what the book's called? Yes. The first book, how there is another lion. So at this point, what we've been given in the story, it is not the assumption that Aslan is the only lion that exists in the story. So the fact is there could be other lions in Narnia, and they could be aggressive. And you could, you should assume they are. They're big cats. Also, you could definitely think, like, oh, I don't know Kalorman is a a country, like, Maybe there's just a bunch of lions there. Like, that wouldn't necessarily be an unreasonable thing to assume, which is literally what the characters think. 
until they get told otherwise. I mean, especially since, you know, in Narnia, this all the animals talk. So, like, I just, to think, like, I know how you're saying, like, oh, well, it's a theme of lions. And I was like, but based on what we've been given, like, you could just think that there's lions in the story. Like, there's no reason for you not to think that at this point. Yeah, I... I Which, like you said, maybe if, since this book was released after, like, the original, like, the story of the Pevensey children, maybe if you read those books first and read this after, maybe you'd be more likely to see it. But, like, based on the order we're reading it, I just don't know how, unless you'd gotten a hint or had read this in some way before, like, how you would have just assumed that these five different lions, or that you thought were different lions, also because, like, the first time they're being attacked, didn't they, they thought there were two lions, then it became one lion. Fair enough. I take your point. So, no, it never crossed my mind that it one could have been the same lion, let alone it definitely didn't cross my mind that this killer, murderous, aggressive lion was Aslan. That definitely didn't cross my mind. Well, it was. Which, which is why, though, at the end of this scene, or later on when we do find out it's Aslan, my biggest question was, why did he attack Erebus? Like... He's supposed to be God, and he literally hurt somebody, let alone somebody who's supposed to be like our main, like the main, one of the main characters of this book, and who's literally like running away from like a marriage to a six-year-old man. So like, why did she deserve to be attacked? And why did he do the attacking? Like, I'm telling you your story. No one gets told any story but their own. That was the most <laughs> annoying line of ever. It's a big Aslan line. I think he says in other books too. So just be prepared. We can talk about it when we get to the end. We can answer your question because we will get the answer, obviously. So they have the battle. So first Shasta runs away. He warns the Archimanders. He falls in with the Narnians. They warn the other Narnians. Great. They go. They win the battle. They spare Prince Rabidash, right? Do I need to say anything else? That's pretty much it. But before the battle, Prince Rabidash tells his men that they can split the booty from Arkenland if they win. Amongst themselves, if they, well, specifically if they kill all the men. And this treasure that he refers to, our booty, includes the women, the gold, the jewels, the weapons, and the wine. And I was just like, oh, I love how women are just like thrown at that top of the list of those objects. Like, yes, that's all women are, just objects. You know, they're the same well, as you're gold the most valuable or the jewels objects. or wine. Like, it's just another pleasure that you could have. They're not people. This was the Middle Ages. But yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, it definitely betrays a, betrays a sensibility. So then we have our happy ending, I think. So it turns out that Shasta is actually Kor, the prince of Arkenland. And Rabidash is captured. Did you figure this out? Did you have any idea this was going to happen with Shasta? Honestly, no, because, again, throughout the book, I was pretty indifferent to what was going to happen to the characters, so I didn't even have the, like, desire to want to make a theory. I mean, it totally makes sense from the beginning that they totally mistake him for somebody else when, like, okay, I understand, like, some people can look alike, but they were like, he is the same person, which means when that happens, like, it had to be a twin situation, like, for it to actually be accurately explained. I mean, I figure that he had to have, I mean, he's the only fair-skinned person amongst a bunch of brown people, so 
He obviously wasn't from there. He had to have been from somewhere else. And since, you know, this is a Narnia story, it would make sense that he was either from Narnia or this other place they're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. But no, I had not really thought it through. I was just I remember the the first time I read this, I had no idea. I was like, you are kidding me. I was like, that is so cool. Like, I definitely remember thinking that as a kid. Whereas I just read it and I was like, okay, next page. Like, that's great. Whatever. Is the story over yet? (laughs) But speaking of capturing, after the battle, they capture Prince Rabadash. I noticed this. The, uh, they talk about the Pevensey children are the ones that we get in this story, that they torture their prisoners, like as part of being king and queen, which I was like, if they do that, they don't seem like obviously as pure and like good. What? If that's what they do. What are you talking about? I don't know if it's, like, I don't think it's, like, Edmund or Lucy who bring it up, but, like, one of their people talks about it, like, talks about torturing him as a prisoner. I think it might have been, I think it was way earlier, like, when they're first in... Tashbon? Yeah, and they, um... They decide that they, like, need to sail away because they're, like, Rabadosh is going to kidnap Susan. I think, I don't think it's, like, it's one of the people there within the room when Shasta's there. They, like, make something, which, again, I mean, there's a lot of, like, words that I'm not necessarily, not necessarily understanding. So maybe I misinterpreted what they said. But it sounded like he was, like, oh, you know, if he does that, like, we'll do blah, 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 like, some form of torture. And I was, like, I wouldn't think that these Narnians who are supposed to be superior or whatever would be torturing their prisoners, which I mean, in the end, they don't do that. So, but I had just noted that because I was. I don't know any surprised. torture. I think that you may be misunderstood because I don't think they talk about torture at all. I mean, they definitely talk about like I don't can't think of the exact because I mean I don't really know different types of torture, but like the like stringing them up and stuff like somebody definitely said it i don't know if it was supposed to be like sarcastic but it was when they were all talking in the room it wasn't like edmund or lucy it was like one of their like people advisors yeah one of the advisors like said something about it but anyway it's besides the point it doesn't really matter obviously anyway well you could go back and find the line and we could talk about it that sounds like a lot of work and i might have read it wrong anyway also it doesn't matter because in the end they don't torture anybody that we know of. So that's fine. But anyway, I want to go back to the hermit, which we haven't really talked about. But basically, when Shasta goes to run like the final miles to warn the people about the invading army, Bree, Huynh, and Erevis stay in this hermit's like garden. And while they're there, like, after the battle's over, they're just kind of sitting around deciding what they want to do. And Aslan shows up, the talking lion. And when he shows up, I mean, Bree, first of all, just runs away because, like we said, I guess he's really afraid of lions, which, I mean, rightfully so when they've literally just been attacked by a lion. And this is actually the same lion that did it. So I think that's a pretty normal reaction. Whereas, on the other hand, when... When she sees Aslan, she walks right up to him and offers herself up to him to be eaten by Aslan because he's so beautiful. She's like, you're so beautiful. Please eat me. Can you imagine going up to someone and saying that? 
So yes, this is where I was like, what are we reading? Is the story over yet? This is ridiculous. I mean, it's pretty funny. She's like, I would rather be eaten by you than eat ever again. I don't know. I think it's funny. Seems very melodramatic. She's a horse. Well, she's a talking horse, so she's supposed to be relatively intelligent. But anyway, so this is when Aslan explains why he scratched Aravis's back. Because like Charles said, he can only tell your story to you. And he says it was to match her stepmother's slave's back that she drugged and ultimately got that slave into trouble. And they received lashings on their back for that in order for her to escape. It was like part of her whole plan to escape. It had her do something like that. And he basically was like, that way you would know what it felt like. Which... This seemed kind of weird to me because to me that's like an eye for an eye sort of ideology that I was getting from it, which I didn't think that that's what like Christianity is really about or like how we said this is like Christian themes and stuff. Like I thought it's more about like, you know, you repent your sins and you're forgiven, not so much that like you're punished, but like. I mean, you can be punished for your sins in Christianity. Like, you, ha- you do have to repent them, and I think it's kind of the point... Again, I'm not an expert, but I think it's kind of the idea that, like, she didn't even think about what happened to this woman, and so she needed to be aware... I thought she did. She, I thought she had mentioned to But she somebody, says to Shasta, she's like, swing. she probably got beat, and that's fine. Like, she's like... She, and she said that was fine. And Exactly. So she doesn't realize it, so she doesn't ask for repentance yet. Like, she doesn't forgive. She doesn't, she doesn't, you know, make up for her mistake, basically. She needs to be reminded of what she did so that she can then, you know, ask for forgiveness. I don't know. It just all seemed a little bit extreme for me. Like, I can't imagine reading this as a child and being like, she didn't know, so she got attacked by a lion. Like, it was just all very confusing to me, like... Again, I mean, it was a shock already that Aslan was the one who attacked them when he's been represented as this nice character. And it's like, wait, maybe he's not that nice. This is actually the moment that for me, the Christian, there's actually a heavy Christian image to me, at least, of Easter. So if you are familiar with the Easter story, when Jesus is resurrected, one of the apostles, Thomas, is like, I will not believe that he's back until I put my hand in his side. Because obviously he gets a lance up his side when he's on the cross. Which is like kind of gross. And then Jesus like goes and meets up with Thomas. And he's like, come on, dude. Put your hand in my side. You can feel it. It's really me. And that's kind of the vibe of when Aslan talks to Bree. He's like, touch my paws. Hear my whiskers. I'm a beast. But I'm still Aslan. Like it very much felt like that. Like... You shouldn't need proof to believe. This is what kind of we were talking about last week. But. Which is to me just totally ridiculous, but. But this is Aslan kind of being like, here's your proof, but you shouldn't need it next time. Which is a heavy Christian. I mean, it's a heavy theme in all religions. In all religion, I mean. You're not necessarily going to get a miracle to prove it's real. You have to believe in and of yourself. Which is where I have my questioning of religion. But, yeah. That's a whole new episode. So yeah, but okay, that's fine. That makes that's our happy ending then. Sense to me. Do you have any questions or thoughts? Well, as I said, for my final impression, like I had said, 
at the beginning of the episode or earlier, I had said how I did feel that this overall story, the plot was better than the last book or at least more enjoyable for me, which Charles predicted last episode. But why I didn't ultimately enjoy it fully is because the plot just still felt meaningless, you know, in the grand scheme of the series, because I am assuming, which I don't know for sure, because I don't know, and Charles could tell me, but I'm assuming we're not getting anything else on these characters for the rest of the series, or at least not as they are. Like, I feel like maybe there'll be background characters, how we had Diggory, and then in the second book, he's just the professor who just, like, exists, but, like, we're not following him anymore, which for me, it's just not at all what I'm used to when reading a series. And like we talked about for in the last series, how like Charles didn't love the world of the Skinjacker trilogy, but he felt really connected to the characters. Whereas so far in every book, there's a different set of characters. So I don't know how you're supposed to make a connection to characters when we're reading about different characters every book. So I am at the same, I'm in the same position of like, no, I am not really enjoying the world at all because I'm not really into fantasy I'm not really enjoying that and then on top of that there's not really like a good set of characters like okay we're gonna see character growth along these books which you know maybe it's because like again how these books were like released um I know the next book is is what Prince Caspian yeah and we'll have the peasant and we'll have the peasancy children and we'll have two of them and the one after that so we'll be following them, but still, like, okay, if they're in those ones, but then there's still, like, two more books after that. Like, who's going to be in those books? So I just think for me, like, how I feel about it right now, obviously, like I had said, it seems childish, or, like, the storylines are, like, childish, and, like, the Christian Christian ideologies and stuff is, like, just way too heavy-handed for me personally as an adult. But as a child, I think reading this, it would be really hard for me to stay invested in the story when we're not following the same characters. But, like, Charles, did you say when you first read these, did you read them in the release order, or did you read them, like, in the chronological order? I read them order? in this order. I read them in this order almost every time. I don't think that but the maybe first, the very the first, first time, time. Do you know if you read it that way? I have no idea. Like, it Again, could have been that. it's been, like, 20 times ago. Because that's what I'm saying of, like, it's the first impression. Because, like, once you've read the story, you can read in the chronological order because you know what's going to happen or you have a general idea. Whereas, but your first impression of the series, like, right now we're three books in. And I have no idea where the story's going. And we've had a different set of characters. There's brand new time. characters all the time. But also, like, just like um, in Inkheart, where it was, like, I don't really know where the story's going. Like, I don't know... There's no end goal for the series yet, which like there doesn't have to be because also the series is very long. It's seven books, but I'm thinking like compared to like Harry Potter, there's like an end goal at the end of the series. Like there's an overarching plot line. There's the plot lines in each book. You have a conflict and there's still that overarching, which I think is like a big thing with like young adult book series. Whereas this, we, we haven't gotten there yet, which this is very different because it was released out of order and stuff. So... But the way you wrote that down, I was thinking about that, and it makes me think that you're right, that this, but this actually feels less, it feels more mature in the, it feels more like for an adult who doesn't need, like, a cohesive plot across the whole series to feel that connectivity, especially because this, the connectivity in this one is through the world. I mean, some of our characters are going to be connected too, but it's that they all take place in the same universe. But you're absolutely right that, like, a younger audience series, 
however many books there are, over the course of the books, there's also an overarching arc. And there will be a concluding arc to the series, but we're not, like you said in Harry Potter, we're working towards the downfall of Voldemort. You know, I don't know what the goal... I guess, like, have you read... Have you read Game of Thrones? Yes. Like, is it like this? Like, because I know that, isn't there like a ton of books? There are a ton of books, but they and are, well, he never finished writing them, is it so this, we don't know what the ending is, but. But is it like this, or is it like there's an overarching plot? Because I'm saying that's like for adults, and it's, it's also kind like of a in world-building between, big world. Because, but because we were staying with the whole same characters in that book, like, they feel a little more connected, but you're basically just like snapshotting a period in time. There, of course, you do have the like the White Walker threat, which is kind of like the overarching theme that like connects it all because, you know, it's basically all these humans are squabbling over like who gets to rule. But like there's a giant army of zombies that are going to kill them all if they don't wake up. But like, I think that this feels very like it's almost like because it's so separate that it's more like for an adult who wouldn't care about having a series, a series. But I was just saying, but you're saying it's more mature, but when, like, the actual content of the story is not Absolutely, at all mature. So that's what I was saying of, like, it doesn't really go together, or, it, like, to me, just then it would never work because it can't be both and be good in the sense of, like, either the books stand alone on their own and they're good or the series, like, like it has to come together. So I think that's why, for me, it's just really not working, but we'll see. <laughs> We're only three books in. We're not quite halfway done. We'll be halfway or past halfway after this next book. But that is right now how I feel about it. I just feel like I'm not looking forward to the next book because I have no idea what's in store. And I mean, at least this next book, I like you said, we it's about the Pevensey children. But I don't really know what the the goal is going to be. I know it's obviously something to do with Prince Caspian, whether like saving him or getting him on the throne. Well, you'll see. We'll find out. We're reading, which is probably the second most famous book after Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, Prince Caspian for next week. So if you do read along, just go ahead and read the whole thing. Book four. Let's hit it and quit it. I mean, with how it's going, you might as well just skip the reading and just <laughs> listen to us. <sighs> I'm... I just enjoy them so much. They're just so, like, I almost forget to take notes because I'm like, I'm just living the story. It's the nostalgia for you. It's And it's the fact it's a familiar story and you literally practically know it by heart. So, like, it's just like when I read, it's just like when I've read books, like, when you were rereading something, even if it's not that good... I mean, it depends because it can go either way. Sometimes it can ruin it for you to read it as an adult because you don't enjoy it as much. But also just because you have the nostalgia, it helps you to continue enjoying it over and over and over again. I guess. Well, maybe next time you read it, you'll enjoy it more because you'll have nostalgia. I'll never be reading this again. You're not going to read this with your kids? I don't. This is absolutely not. Also, first of all, the heavy Christian imagery, I will not be putting that on my children. But Really? Also, Talking Lions. Oh, my God. I'm going to read this with your kids. No. I'm. No. Or you can do whatever you want. Again, it's my kids will be able to do whatever they want. But I personally will not be reading. First of all, because I will never be picking these books up again. It was a one and done thing. Never again. Just like Inkar. 
I'm trying to think what other ones. Ink Heart is definitely like one I'll never read. Like I could burn those books. I mean, don't burn books. That's so terrible. Let's that was a lie. Don't burn them. Donate them to your local library and never read <laughs> them again. But that is a currently how I feel about Narnia, and I don't think it's gonna change, but high hopes. High hopes. But if you have predictions on that or the books theories or questions remember that you can stay in touch with us about anything on the nerd party website just head over to nerdparty.com contact and select throwback paperback you can send us an email there and get in touch with the network on twitter at join nerd party or on instagram at the nerd party or facebook.com the nerd party and to find me i'm at asia.bonia on instagram and tiktok and i'm at seashells on instagram and if you enjoyed our banter this episode make sure you rate and review our show share it with the people in your life and check out the other awesome podcasts we have in our nerd party network family and subscribe to our show so you don't miss us next week when i try again to make asia like these books it's never gonna happen but make sure you hit that subscribe button and have a good one we'll see you next week Join the revolution. Join the nerd party.